Hello, greetings. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for giving us the gift of spending this time as we continue to explore what God has made known in Jesus and in the Scriptures. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples in Los Angeles, and we want to be of service to you. We'd love for you to join our conversation and subscribe to us where you found us. Reach out in the comments, and if we can be of any service to you in any way, please let us know at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org or through our social media on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, Luke bears witness that the first Christians in Jerusalem were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The Hebrews author, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, commanded, Let us take thought of how to spur one another on to love and good works, not abandoning our own meeting, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and even more so because you see the day drawing near. We can see from these and many other passages that early Christians from the beginning made it a habit and devoted themselves to coming together. And when they did that, they would break bread, they would have association, they would pray, and they would do other such things. They were encouraged to do this as part of the work that they were to do to stimulate one another to love and good works. And the assembly has been a major prominent focus of Christianity ever since, and for many good reasons. However, we're starting to see a lot of discontent, a lot of frustration, a lot of challenges that are relating to people and their participation in the assemblies of Christians. Uh, there's a lot of entertainment out there, uh, a lot of sports and sport activities, and other venues that compete for people's time and their attention uh, on both Sundays and on Wednesdays. There are a lot of people who, because of our very individualist culture, because of a lot of the pain and suffering they've experienced, and also just because of various other trends, have bought into the idea they can be Christians without a church and do not need to assemble with fellow Christians. And unfortunately, there's a large number of people who have just grown indifferent. They just do not care anymore. And so we do well to consider why it's important that we consider assembling, why the assembly is good, and what benefits we can get from the assembling, and how we can glorify God. Because the assembly remains as important and critical now as it was in the first century. As we saw in Acts 2 and verse 42, uh, that the Christians were devoting themselves to the fellowship, to the koinonia, what they shared in common to their association. And in 1 John chapter 1, 3-5, through 5, uh, John testifies that uh, Christians kind of walk in the light together uh, in the shared walk in Jesus Christ. And that there's supposed to be this deep and abiding connection between Christians in the body of Christ. In Romans 12, 3 through 8, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27, many of the passages Paul and Peter uh, will emphasize this, 1 Peter 4, uh, will emphasize such things and the importance of the Christians working together and coming together. Now, it's important to keep in mind, and, and there's certainly no denying the fact, that our joint participation, our association, our community, exists even when we are not physically together. And Christians are absolutely supposed to get together in many contexts. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, we should notice that the stimulating one another love and good works is primary, and the coming together is a way of doing that. And even that word for coming together there uh, certainly would include the assembly, but would not be restricted to the assembly. And there's a lot that Christians need to be doing in spending time with each other outside of the context of the assembly. However, none of that is to deny that the assemblies have an integral role in, in really developing and promoting those bonds of association. And that 
the other forms of association are certainly to be seen as above and beyond and not ex you know to the exclusion of the participation in the assembly because in general the stronger the, the association a Christian has with fellow Christians, the stronger that Christian is going to be. And the weaker the association that such a Christian has, uh, then the weaker that Christian is going to be. It's worth understanding and looking at 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9 in this context. Be sober and alert. Your enemy the devil, like a roaring lion, is on the prowl looking for someone to devour. Resist him, strong in your faith, because you know that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are enduring the same kinds of suffering. So we note there this idea of, of what is what's Peter what's the, the devil doing? Excuse me, he is uh, kind of out on his own. And if you've ever seen a nature documentary and you've seen lions hunting, uh, you'll understand that the lion is going to go after the one who is out on its own uh, much more easily and quickly than the whole herd. And so the more separated Christian is from his fellow brethren, the easier Satan's job becomes. And then even notice there uh, what's going on there, where they're, they're being discouraged because they feel like they're going through all this pain and suffering and that they're alone. And so that's why Peter not so subtly points out that Christians around the world are going through the same sufferings that you are. You are not alone in the trials and distresses. And so whereas in times of trial and distress, we have a very natural part of our uh, flight re response that we're trying to kind of cover for ourselves to give a chance to heal uh, we want to draw inward uh, that is why we are to resist that and to be willing to draw outward toward our fellow christians in those difficult times another reason why the assembly is so important is because it is a time of encouragement and edification as we saw in hebrews chapter 10 but also in first corinthians 14 and verse 26 as paul is trying to encourage the christians of Corinth about how they're supposed to function in the assembly, he points out everything they do is supposed to be done for building up. And this constant need for encouragement edification is a confession, whether we want to admit it or not, that as human beings we are weak and we often require strengthening. Um, we have a kind of a national myth right now that tries to exalt the pretense of strength and wants to shun and eschew all forms of weakness as bad and as as inferior and yet in hu as human beings we are very weak and we are needing that strength and encouragement at times and that's why god established the assembly uh, as a consistent frequent opportunity for christians to come together to strengthen and build one another up that there is encouragement when we're together we see that we are not alone and that we are able to celebrate time with our people and it should lead to our faith being built up and we should have greater resolve to be the christians that we should be uh, when we've done all things for edification, that ought to be the way that we feel afterward. Now, can we do that kind of stuff outside the assembly? Absolutely, and we should. We should take opportunities to do that outside the assembly. But the, the assemblies are that consistent, dependable time for that refreshment and that re-energizing. It is not true that don't we all need those times of relative shelter from Satan's onslaught, the pressures of the world, to devote ourselves to God and his word and his people that we can be refreshed in our spirit as we can see in Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. And this also gets us to something that is very uncomfortable in American society as well, since American society has exalted the Lone Ranger concept, the idea that uh, we should be able to do it on our own. This is a very 
powerful middle-class ethic of Americans. Uh, when we were poor, we needed one another, uh, or we weren't going to survive. And so one of the great hallmarks of I have gone beyond poverty is now I don't need anyone else anymore. I am able to be self-sufficient. I don't need other people, which is a her heresy. It is a lie. It is a damnable lie, in fact, because that is just not the way we are. If, if God really thought that it would have been best for individual Christians just be out there on their own. He could have done it that way. But there's no evidence in Scripture that that's the way he intends. And in fact, all of the evidence is pointing in a very different direction, uh, that God has established the assembly, his universal assembly of all believers, and local manifestations of that assembly meeting in a given time and place. And these local assemblies are to remind us that we are not alone, as we saw there in 1 Peter 5 and verse 9. Uh, compare what Elijah was going through in 1 Kings 19. And the local assemblies give us opportunities to strengthen the weak and to be strengthened when we are weak in 1 Corinthians 12, 24 through 27. And we are only going to be able to develop the kinds of love and association with fellow members of the local assemblies when we are participating in the local assemblies and when we are sharing life beyond the assemblies uh, to really help allow that time together to have that extra and great meaning. And this is why the assemblies, despite what everyone is saying these days and, and all the attitudes going on, still have great value. And it's not even just the assembly in general, but we can find great value in the things that we do in our assembly. Uh, we get together to study the Bible. Um, there's a lot of emphasis and priority placed in, in modern culture on uh, coming to one's own conclusions and one's own independent, quote-unquote, objective study. Uh, but we're seeing that that's not necessarily even whatever is said in Scripture. It's not that we're not supposed to study the Bible as individuals. We certainly should be devoted to ourselves, that we should be working to have no need to be ashamed, handling the truth of God rightly in 2 Timothy 2.15, uh, in 2 Timothy 3.16-17, the great value of Scripture. Uh, but what do we see in Acts 8 and verse 30 and 31 when the eunuch was asked by Philip if he understood what he was reading, he said, how can I let someone guide me? And there is a consistent pattern of this where uh, there's the expectation that the script we have come to an understanding of what God has made known through what we have been taught and that we are to then take that and teach it to other men and or women, humans, actually, in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, who can then uh, teach others also. Because the fact of the matter is, is that a very important part of our coming together to study is the fact that a lot of times we can come to erroneous conclusions, we maintain certain assumptions about the way we read certain passages or what must be or how we put things together. And, and that's why in Proverbs 27:17, the iron sharpens iron, that there are times we're having that engagement, uh, both engaging with one another and engaging with what we could consider the great tradition of Bible study and interpretation, uh, understanding that a lot of times it has all kinds of different people, different perspectives, uh, and to at least be informed about them, to, to come to an understanding why we might be reading it in certain ways, uh, to be willing to be challenged in the way that we're reading, and to perhaps come to a much more holistic understanding because of that kind of engagement. To assume that I can get everything I need out of my own personal individual study without any other assistance is extremely arrogant, presumptuous, and haughty, as if there's nothing I can gain or learn from other people, and runs entirely uh, contrary to the grain of everything that we see in Scripture, where we are to in humility recognize that uh, we can gain from other people's perspectives, and thus having that time together to study can be of great benefit to us. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16, uh, we see praying and singing together. And certainly we need to pray as individuals and to sing as individuals. See that in 1 Thessalonians 
in James 5.13. But there is comfort and strength when the whole assembly is praying together for our needs, our difficulties, our challenges. Uh, we pray for somebody among us and to, sh to understand that we are coming together as one in prayer. And there's great strengthening that can come when we speak to one another in the songs that we sing and, and can really uh, be reinforced and strengthened in them, uh, have powerful experiences in them. And of course, there is this power in the coming together of multiple voices. And it is a, the most concrete demonstration in a very real way of our perichoretic relational unity. Uh, perichoresis is uh, mutual interpenetration without loss of distinctive identity. Uh, it's the relational unity that exists within God and which we're called to have with God and one another in John 17, 20 through 23. And we see that when we sing, because all of our voices sing out and, and the vibrations are coming out of our out of our larynx and our vocal cords. And it's mutually interpenetrating with the, the sound vibrations of everybody else to the point where there is a coherent whole that is being heard, but also you could point out and find the individual voices. And so it's a very concrete demonstration of our faith in, in a very real way, uh, one of which, we should add, would not be helped by the addition of instrumental music. Of course, the Lord's Supper. Uh, the Lord's Supper is something we don't have any authority to do just on our own, uh, that we are to come together because it is the demonstration of our joint participation in the faith, that we are the people of the bread and fruit of the vine in 1 Corinthians 10, 16-17 in a very real way, uh, and that we are, again, demonstrating our communion, our joint participation in Christ because we all share of the same bread and the same fruit of the vine. Even giving in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is extremely important. Uh, it's, it's another way of doing a koinonia. It's a joint participation. We're jointly participating and we're investing in the work that we are sharing in the place when we are. And that's very important. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's demonstrating a commitment. Uh, our budgets are moral documents. People often forget that because budgets, uh, where we spend our money really shows where our heart is and what's really important to us. And that is true of how a church elects to spend its money, but also true of how we as individuals allocate our money and what we provide for those in need and for the work of the church. And of course, there is preaching. In 2 Timothy 4 and Acts 15.32, it's designed to exhort and encourage. It should be biblical. It provides insights to promote greater faithfulness to God's purposes. It should help provide spiritual food. People should feel fed by it. And that it provides the strength and sustenance to carry on in the life of faith in the time and place in which we find ourselves. And so we can see how all of these acts that we do together are to help reinforce that togetherness and that encouragement and to provide that benefit of being with one another. So why is it that people are not assembling or not finding value for a lot of in a lot of assembling? And we should definitely mention, because it is a very lamentable thing, that there are a lot of people who uh, have been very hurt in Christian assemblies. They've been hurt because uh, many of the things that have been said inside the assemblies have been less than honoring a God and his purposes. They have been hurtful to many people. Uh, people have been very much traumatized by their experiences in churches when people have not acted according to what God has made known in Christ. And so uh, assemblies can be very discouraging and very hurtful things for people. Uh, there are times when there are manifest divisions in assemblies and where there is obvious hostility which it ought not be, and that causes for great distress and pain, where the assembly is a situation where people feel like it takes strength to do it, as opposed to drawing strength from it. 
And in those circumstances, there is we need to lament because the assembly is not doing what it ought to be doing, and it's not reflecting what God has intended for it, and people have been hurt by it. And we ought to show appropriate sympathy and understanding for people in a circumstance. Uh, but the goal when one has been hurt in that context is not to abandon the context, but to find the context in which you can find the help and healing, where you can find the joint participation, the saints, that will provide the life and benefit that God intends in Christ and not to be alienated from the people of God, uh, which is entirely antithetical to God's purposes. So those are very real issues, uh, and we don't want to dismiss them. But there's a, a whole other set of issues that comes out uh, and reasons why people do not assemble that are a very different nature. Um, you will hear many people say, well, I don't get anything out of it. I'm not getting anything out of the assembly. And we have to admit even there, there are times where perhaps there's not enough strengthening or encouragement in the assembly that the substance of what is being offered is very facile and surface level and isn't really providing a whole lot of benefit. And there needs to be some critique and lamentation and the attempt to make those more effective. However, a lot of the times when that's being said, the people are really not putting that much into the assembly. Uh, that's the mentality that one gets when you look at the, the assembly as a spectator sport, uh, where you are consuming media, not unlike watching television or going to a, a sports game or something of the sort, where you are watching and you are the passive recipient. That's not the way the assembly is supposed to be that everything that we've talked about in the assembly is supposed to be an active engagement. There's active engagement very clearly in the Lord's Supper and in singing and in giving when we are all participating in that together. Even in praying, even if we're not speaking, we're being led in prayer and that we are to be jointly participating in that prayer silently so that when we the, it is concluded, we can say amen um, and therefore have jointly affirmed that prayer. And even in those things that might seem to be more of a spectator thing, like the preaching of the of the word, it, there's supposed to be an engagement there. Uh, the preacher very much is looking for engagement and, and, and interaction with the audience. And when it's being done well, uh, the audience is receiving the energy uh, being poured out from the message in the material, and the preacher's drawing energy from the participation in, in, of the congregation, and, and there's a mutuality there. Uh, which cannot be replicated outside of that context. That's why a lot of times you see a recording of a sermon or hear a recording of a sermon, uh, it may not have that same force as when the experience took place in person because it was one of those you just had to be there moments because not everything can be captured by a microphone or by a video camera. And so there, there's a very strong critique that should be given when the idea is that, well, I'm not getting anything out of it. Uh, or the assemblies are boring. And, and this is somewhat understandable in our modern culture where there's a lot of entertainment and excitement, where there's a lot of other op opportunities, a lot of other options. And especially if you're looking for a kind of a high-tech or high-quality entertainment experience, there are many of those that you can find. And the what seem to be old-fashioned assemblies or primitive-seeming assemblies uh, seem boring by comparison because they don't have the uh, light show, they don't have the fog machine, they don't have all these other things going on. And there, there are ways in which the assembly might be boring in ways that can be addressed um, if the uh, singing is not being done with sufficient uh, quality and vigor, if the preaching is, is flat and uninspired. 
if the people participating in scripture reading and prayer have no energy in it. Certainly ways that we can try to improve on that. But the whole framework about interest and boredom uh, and, of course, the kind of meeting current entertainment standards, that's what a lot of groups have gone to. They've tried to put on the show in order to capture the audience, so to speak. But is that really the goal, to shift and change the way the assembly works? Or is it that we need to cultivate in an age of distraction and an age of entertainment uh, how to jointly participate in the faith in ways that are powerful and compelling uh, that don't involve all the uh, gizmos and gadgets? And if we truly have interest in spiritual matters and the association with the, with the Christians, uh, what, how can we find ways to take what God has established for us to do and to be encouraged and edified in that and really identify what, what is causing us to be bored in this circumstance? Is it boring because of all these other things that we're used to? Is it that we're not really prioritizing, privileging what we're doing and how we're doing it? Where is the source of that boredom? And to really critique that and challenge that. Others would like to say, well, I didn't feel fed, or the assemblies are not edifying. And it really comes down to what feeding and edifying is to look like. Uh, and again, are there times in which there are times you come together and you don't feel like there was a whole lot offered, that it was thin gruel? Absolutely. And are there times where it takes more energy to be part of the assembly than not in certain circumstances? Very possibly. Uh, and there might be very legitimate reasons for that that need to be addressed. But a lot of times, especially with the idea of edification, that many in the, the, world, the Christian world around us have taken edification, which means to build up, which is literally a term of construction. Uh, that like a brick in the wall, right? That, that when you've edified, when you've built up, there's something there that wasn't there before, that you've built another brick in the building, so to speak. Uh, but a lot of times out in the religious world, the word has been turned into an edifying experience as something that provides this kind of emotional high. And that, it's, that edification is very much associated with a feeling, uh, with an experience. And that when, when you're chasing after the emotional high, uh, then yes, a lot of assemblies are going to be disappointing. And if you keep chasing the emotional high, you can keep going for that and, and maybe try getting a hit here and there. But it's not actually growing your faith. It's just making it harder to find that emotional high. And if there's nothing there after it's all said and done, it really wasn't edifying. And again, to be clear, it's not that edification should not have an emotional component, but edification is not purely or primarily even emotional. The goal of edification is that there's something there that wasn't there before. You have a stronger association with somebody else. You've gained insight and growth in your faith. That's the stuff that we're really looking for when it comes to edification. That's the idea of really being spiritually fed. And so the question again comes, is it that the assembly really isn't edifying or really isn't providing that nourishment, or is it that it's not providing the emotional high that people are craving, and why it's important for us to uh, prioritize that, uh, what true edification is, and to pursue it. But again, we look at all of these, if you look at all of these things, there's, there's definitely a trend with it all. It's all about it's all about me in, in a very real way, where they are looking at the assembly and they're trying to figure out what can I get from this? What can I consume from this? How can this benefit me? And that becomes the primary focus there. 
And it's a very understandable one. It's the one we have in our society. Uh, because the attitude in society is about what, me, what is in it for me, uh, from everything from uh, why should I vote for this politician, to why should I use this or that product, or unfortunately even, should I become friends with that person? What's going to be in it for me? And that is the way it is in the world, but it should not be so among us. Because the one thing that we should have noticed about the assemblies, it is a time for coming together to build one another up. The focus of the assembly, the focus of our life in God's people, is one another. In Philippians 2, 1-4, through 4, uh, we see this in these other passages we've been talking about, that it's a faith principle, that we are going to trust that our needs are going to be met when we fully devote ourselves to the needs of others. And... I say it's a faith premise because we can pour ourselves out for others, and we may not get poured into in return. It's very possible, very plausible in, in the way people work. But our faith in God and Christ should lead us to recognize that we are going to be better off when we are willing to pour into other people and others will pour into us, that we will feel more filled than if we just make it all about me and all about what I think I want or what's best for my needs uh, or extending it out past just me to my family, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Um, and so when we assemble, are we considering how to stir one another up to love and good works in Hebrews 10 and verse 24? Are we seeking to find ways to build one another up in 1 Corinthians 14, 26? Are we jointly participating in the communion of Christ in 1 Corinthians 10, 16 through 17? Are we praying for one another? Are we speaking to one another in song in 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 17 and Ephesians 5 and verse 19? And do we seek to understand the applications of the lesson for ourselves and our own lives and or how we can better serve God and others, as in Romans 13, 8 through 11. Because when we make the assembly about one another and not about us, we might just find that a lot of our apprehensions and concerns about the assembly will be able to wither away. It's because when we make the assembly about one another and not just another way of trying to pursue my self-interest that we can find the true value of the assembly and why it is extremely unwise to start changing adapting the assembly uh, to fit modern entertainment standards um, and to, to cater to this uh, growing consumerist mentality. So yes, the assembly has absolutely great value on its own, in general, and also because of everything that we do within it. And yes, there are a lot of reasons behind dissatisfaction with assemblies. Some of it comes from very real hurt and trauma and pain, and we pray for healing for those who've experienced that. But with a lot of the other dissatisfaction, it often comes down to selfishness. Because the assemblies are about one another and building up one another in our most holy faith. And that when we are stronger and more mature as Christians, we're going to understand the importance and value of the assembly. And we will value and prioritize the time that we share with our fellow people of God. And that's why we should not be deceived by selfishness and worldly values, and we should try to come together as we can to strengthen one another in faith. Let us go to God in prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. We're so thankful that you've loved us and cared for us and made provision for us, that you have created us and given us all that we have and are, and that you have given us the hope of salvation and resurrection in Jesus. And we're thankful for Jesus and his, and his life, death, and his resurrection, his ascension, his lordship, and we pray for his imminent return. We're thankful that you have counted us worthy to participate in his kingdom. We're thankful that you have poured out your spirit upon us, and we pray that you strengthen and sustain us in that spirit. And we are so thankful for the word by which we may come to know you. 
We are mindful of the many who are ill. We pray that you would heal them. We pray for those who are in pain and distress and grief, that you would comfort and strengthen them. We pray for peace in all places where there is conflict, that your righteous and justice will flow in our land, and that um, those who have needs will have them met, and that you would preserve life wherever it is in danger. We're so thankful, Father, that in your wisdom you've established the church and the opportunity to come together to encourage one another in the assembly. We pray that we will not take that privilege for granted and that we will always live to devote ourselves to one another in the assembly, to participate in the assemblies in ways that will build up and encourage one another and to encourage others to come together to the same reason uh, that we can continually manifest the kind of relational unity you would have for us in Jesus and that we would uh, grow in our health and participation in life. We also want to pray your comfort and peace for those who have been badly hurt in the assembly and those who've been traumatized by experiences in the assembly and we pray that they would be healed and be able to find opportunity to come together with fellow Christians and be encouraged and strengthened again and that we would always have a mind to serve one another in the assemblies and glorify you. We pray that your son will return that we can share in the eternal assembly in your presence in the resurrection and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. It's so glad that you've joined us. We'd love to hear your thoughts. How do you feel about the assembly and its value? Um, any way we can encourage you when it comes to the assembly, please let us know in the comments, subscribe to us where you found us, or please reach out to us at VanishRichardChrist.org or on our social media. And may the Lord bless and keep you until we're able to meet again.